From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. The unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Wednesday, November the first, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Israel's military has expanded its ground operation in Gaza. Flying Tigers members and their families are in Beijing, aiming to rekindle the spirit of cooperation between China and the U.S. And King Charles III has acknowledged the painful aspects of colonialism on his tour in Kenya. In business, the Central Financial Work Conference in Beijing. In sports, details of a blockbuster trade in the NBA. In culture and entertainment, the annual Golden Rooster and Hundred Flowers Film Festival is underway in China. Now checking the day's top stories. More than three weeks into the Israel-Palestine conflict, and Israel is expanding its ground operations in Gaza. A barrage of airstrikes has leveled apartment buildings in a refugee camp in the enclave. Israel says the strikes destroyed a Hamas command center set up in civilian houses and a network of tunnels underneath. The Hamas-run Interior Ministry says at least 400 Palestinians were either killed or wounded. On Tuesday, the Palestinian Health Ministry said uh, Israeli army fire killed two Palestinians. Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. Also on Tuesday, Yemen's Houthi militias issued a video statement claiming to have fired ballistic missiles and drones at Israel. Israel and Palestine so far have reported over 10,000 deaths since tensions flared up in early October. Sam Mednick has more from Jerusalem. A barrage of airstrikes over Gaza, and it did hit the Jabalia refugee camp, which is on the outskirts of Gaza City. Israel said that it did kill a key Hamas commander, as well as 50 other militants, and that the area was being used by Hamas for, for its activities. The Hamas, uh, Hamas has said that many, many people were killed. They didn't give an exact number yet, but they said that at, le at least six airstrikes hit the refugee camp. Israel said that it is going to increase its operations, and there is concern that it has told people to go from the north to the south, but as it advances on the north-south highway in Gaza, there's concern that that access might soon be cut off. As the attacks continue, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is becoming more and more dire. There are hundreds of thousands of people, the UN says, sheltering in their schools, as well as other facilities. The WHO, the World Health Organization, said that all 13 hospitals in northern Gaza have been given evacuation orders 
by Israel's military. However, the medics there say that they're not leaving. They say that if they move people, it would be like a death sentence. The Iranian-backed uh, Houthi rebels in Yemen released a video saying that they released drones and missiles targeting Israel and they threatened to release more of them if Israel does not stop its aggression. Israel said that it did shoot down a drone over the southern city of Eilat. It also intercepted another missile over the Red Sea. But one of the biggest concerns Israelis say is that there's going to be another front with its northern border with Lebanon where the Hezbollah militant group operates. That was Sam, uh, Sam Mednick reporting. Well, Egypt says hospitals in the country will help treat wounded Palestinians from Gaza. The North African nations reported to have agreed to receive 81 of the most badly wounded on Wednesday through the Rafah crossing. The decision comes as fuel runs out in Gaza's few hospitals inundated with patients. The UN says the conflict's displaced more than a million Palestinians since it began. The Financial Times reported, uh, reports that uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been speaking to Europe European leaders to pressure Egypt into accepting refugees from Gaza. Meanwhile, in the Egyptian city of Al Arish near the Rafah crossing, the Palestinian Red Crescent readies much needed aid for the displaced. Yasser Hakim has uh, visited its main warehouse and sent back this report. Another busy day at the Red Crescent headquarters here in Al Arish city. This is the city where most of the aid going to Gaza is being stored before being delivered through the Rafah border crossing. The Red Crescent is overseeing the storage and distribution of humanitarian assistance collected from Egypt and around the world. It's the link between local and international relief agencies and the Palestinian Red Crescent to ensure aid is delivered to the Palestinians. Staff member Mahmoud Gamal tells CGTN there's a diversified network here to ensure the smooth flow of operations. The volunteers and many teams in the Egyptian Red Crescent have different missions. Like you can see, they're distributing the assistance to specialized warehouses. We have warehouses for medical equipment and medicine that have to be stored in certain temperatures. There are different warehouses for food, water and disaster relief. It's a well-organized system. However, since the Rafah border was reopened on the 21st of October, Egypt has been blaming Israel for not allowing enough aid trucks to cross into Gaza. Only about 10 to 15 trucks reach Gaza in a day, whereas the World Health Organization says at least 200 trucks should be allowed in daily. The slow process of delivering the aid to Gaza has led to an accumulation of the assistance to the extent that the warehouses by the Red Crescent have not been able to have the capacity to cover this. The Red Crescent and other NGOs had to seek more locations and even the city stadium to accommodate the goods. Humanitarian aid is transported to Al Arish city either on trucks from cities around Egypt or on board international flights arriving at Al Arish airport from various countries. Over 3,000 tons are waiting to be delivered, but aid workers say more is still needed. A tragic humanitarian crisis is unfolding in Gaza, where thousands of civilians are falling victim to the ongoing Israeli military offensive and have been prevented from accessing desperately needed assistance that's lying just a few hundred meters away on the other side of the border fence. That was Yasser Hakim reporting. Well, meantime, Bolivia has cut diplomatic ties with Israel over what it calls Israel's aggressive and disproportionate military offensive in the Gaza Strip. Bolivia is demanding an end of the attacks and says it'll send humanitarian aid to Gaza. And Chile has recalled its ambassador to Israel for consultations. Uh, President Gabriel Boric cited what he calls Israel's violations of international humanitarian law. And Colombia has also recalled its ambassador to Israel. The United Nations Children's Agency says the Gaza Strip has become a graveyard for thousands of children. UNICEF spokesperson James Elder says he's fearful that many more children are suffering from trauma and dehydration. Now our gravest fears about the reported numbers of children killed going from dozens into hundreds into thousands have been realized in just a fortnight. The numbers are appalling. Gaza has become a graveyard for children. It's a living hell for everyone else. And yet the threats to children go beyond bombs and mortars. And I want to speak briefly now on, on two of those, water and trauma. Uh, the more than one million children of Gaza have 
a critical water crisis. Meantime, the World Health Organization's also warned of a public health catastrophe in Gaza amid overcrowding in very few safe places, as well as mass displacement and intense damage to water and sanitation infrastructure. Palestinian media says 39 trucks carrying humanitarian aid entered Gaza on Tuesday through the Rafah crossing from Egypt. And since the reopening of Rafah on October the 21st, nearly 200 aid trucks have entered the besieged enclave. However, Israel still prohibits the entry of fuel into the territory. A senior UN human rights official resigned over what he calls a textbook case of genocide of Palestinian uh, civilians under Israeli bombardment. The Guardian News on Tuesday reported that Craig Mokaber, uh, uh, as saying the United Nations was failing in its duty to protect Palestinian civilians. He cited the U.S., U.K., and uh, much of Europe as complicit in what he said was the horrific assault and wholesale slaughter of the Palestinian people. Uh, Mokaber joined the UN in 1992. He led the High Commissioner's work on a human rights-based approach to development, and he was also a senior human rights advisor in Palestine, Afghanistan, and Sudan. China will preside over the United Nations Security Council in November. When asked how it will manage the Israel-Palestine conflict, spokesperson Wang Wenbin of the Chinese Foreign Ministry said China will work for a just and lasting settlement of the conflict. On the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, China always stands on the side of fairness and justice, condemns and opposes all moves that harm civilians and violate international law. China is committed to working with the international community to help end the fighting, ensure the safety of civilians, promote humanitarian assistance, prevent an even worse humanitarian disaster from happening, and strive for a comprehensive, just and lasting settlement of the Palestinian question. China will work relentlessly to this end in the UN Security Council. China took over the rotating presidency after Brazil's one-month term ended on Tuesday. Coming up, Flying Tigers airmen are visiting China once again. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. We're at 11 minutes past the hour. Veterans of the Flying Tigers and their families are in China, hoping to rekindle the spirit of cooperation that defined their wartime efforts. The Flying Tigers were an iconic group of American volunteer aviators who played an important role in defending China against Japanese forces during World War II. Dong Shui sits down with Harry Moyer, who's spending his 103rd birthday in Beijing, to learn more about his story. Welcome to Beijing. Yes, ma'am. Chinese people have uh, expressed a deep gratitude of what you guys have done during the World War II. Um, I read an interview you did with an American newspaper back in 1989. You were talking about your war experiences and you described the China as beautiful and you took a liking to its people. I wonder what was it about China impressed you the most? And can you share some of the memories of that time while you're in China? I, I think uh, you just come into China and, and, it's, uh, and it's people, and you just, you just like it's entering a room that you've been in there forever. It's very, very welcoming, very, very comfortable, and it's very easy to be with them. And it's just, it flows into you. It doesn't flow out, it flows into me. And I, I just uh, have admired the, the Chinese people ever since I came over in 1944 and worked on with uh, Flying Tigers, you know, so it's, um, it's just a great expression that I feel for China and its people. Has your experience helped you understand more about this country? Oh, apparently, of course, of course. When we came over in 1995, you know, these buildings were being built by bamboo scaffolding. And that was surprising. Here we come today and look at this wonderful construction and people busy, busy, busy. And apparently doing their jobs every day. So do you think your trip this time to China will help better the China-U.S. bilateral relations? That is my only hope. That is my primary purpose of being here at this age is to come to China and spread the story of the, and the message of the Flying Tigers about America and China, that, you know, that terrible time in China's relationship, as you know, in 1930s and the 40s. So 
I think it's um, important that myself, as one of the last of the flying tigers, put myself out to be anything that, that can help that situation. Mel and I are the last ones, so to speak, that's going to visit in China. I hope that our uh, impact, if anything, um, comes through because that's what I want to be here in China for, to extend that very, very important message that was created so many 85 years ago. Now I want to talk about the letter. Chinese President Xi Jinping replied to you and your fellow veterans and families for recounting the stories of flying tigers among Chinese and American viewers over the past decades. Well, this is often seen as a symbol of deep friendship between the two peoples. Uh, as President Xi put it, it withstood the test of blood and fire. Could you share your thoughts on the contents of the letters? That was awesome. You never. I never expected to hear that from the president of China, you know. It's such an exceptional letter, and to have him uh, announce that uh, acceptance of the Flying Tigers concept and uh, also endorse it, and also the new program that we have, the legacy that we're starting with the new generations, to have his okay behind it, that's big. That's a, that's a, we were just so happy to get that thing. I hope that that goes forward and uh, everybody can appreciate what the president has done for us and what we have done for China in the past. And it goes both ways. That was 103-year-old U.S. World War II veteran um, speaking during an interview in Beijing. Uh, located on China's east coast, Yancheng is home to numerous wetlands and natural reserves, as well as many endangered animal species. Uh, the city is exploring the model of harmonious coexistence between humans and wildlife, redefining our relationship with the natural world. And Li Yunxi has more. We have some parts of California like this, but this is a next level. Over the past weekend, an online video went viral showing a two-year-old guide leading a group of visitors from California, including Governor Gavin Newsom, for a tour around a nature reserve in Yanchen. And the guide was not a human, but a Chinese red-crowned crane. The large bird with a long neck and long legs seemed comfortable around humans. Li Chuenrong with the National Reserve of Wetland and Rare Birds says this crane is part of a research program to expand the population of this endangered species. After years of efforts, we now have around 240 red-crowned cranes that were born through artificial breeding. But our ultimate goal is to increase the population of the birds in their natural habitat. So far this year, we have released 16 cranes back into the wild. Reversing the domestication process is a challenging task, as the animals must adapt to their natural habitat, potentially causing disruption to an already balanced ecosystem. Apart from hundreds of rare birds, Yanchen is also known for reviving the once near-extinct Milu deer. As more of them are reintroduced into the wild, their footprints have extended to the nearby wetlands, including the Taozhenyi Wetland Reserve, a World Heritage Site. Rangers there have to put up fences to protect a rare bird called the Saunders's gull, or Chinese black-headed gull. Ranger Zhang Wenkui explains why. These gulls like to build their nests on the ground, and their eggs are vulnerable to being accidentally crushed by the passing milo deer. So during the breeding season of the Saunders gulls, we'd fend off the milo deer and keep them away from the birds' nesting areas. And therefore, every year in March, the rangers erect fences that are designed to only allow access to smaller animals. Then they take them down at the end of the mating season in July, allowing the environment to return to its natural state. Another obstacle for animals to return to nature is human activities. Even though natural reserves are largely unmanned areas, there are observation points for people to appreciate the beauty of nature. For a better photo of the wildlife, some animal enthusiasts may trespass into the restricted areas without knowing. Some of them have even used drones, startling flocks of birds or milu deer, just to capture the perfect shot. Last year, people voluntarily established the Yanchen Bird Watching Society to promote responsible behavior around wildlife. 
Xue Dandan from the National Milu Reserve emphasizes that photography activities should not be entirely banned, as they also play a role in wildlife conservation efforts. Some photography enthusiasts might disturb animals, but it's their photographs that raise awareness and spark people's interest in these creatures. The beautiful shots they capture through their lenses help us all appreciate the beauty of wildlife, and that's a big part of our mission too. Xue believes that sustaining and expanding the wildlife population doesn't require complete separation between animals and humans. It's more pragmatic for them to learn to live in the same space in harmony. As a national model of ecological development, Yancheng is on the way to finding the optimal balance for their coexistence. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Li Yingqi. Gun violence over the past weekend has killed and wounded dozens in multiple American cities. Mass shooting in the state of Maine alone has left 18 people dead. The epidemic of gun violence is showing no signs of abating, and some in the U.S. are now arguing that taking weapons out of the hands of those who may cause harm could be one solution to the gun crisis. Hendrik Cybrandi has more. Last week's tragedy in Lewiston, Maine, has reignited the debate over what new measures could stem gun violence in the U.S. News that suspected gunman Robert Card exhibited serious mental health issues months before the Maine rampage has put so-called red flag laws back in the spotlight. Colorado ceasefire is. A huge proponent of red flag laws.、They're、Lainey Scheffel is with a gun violence prevention organization in one of 21 states that allow police or family members to go to court to temporarily remove guns from people whose behavior suggests they may be a risk to themselves or others. Red flag orders have now been sought well over 300 times in Colorado, but some criminal justice experts. Question: Just how effective they really are. Mental health is a huge component of gun violence prevention, and it's a critical issue that we all should be paying more attention to and investing in. But the reality is, is that access to firearms is what's making. A dangerous situation into a lethal situation really, really quickly. Many in law enforcement, citing the right to bear arms and the right to due process, refuse to observe red flag laws. But more states may give them another look. It appears Maine's less restrictive yellow flag law, which requires a doctor to sign off on gun confiscation, was not used in this case. Would it have made a difference? We'll never know. That was Hendrick Cybrandi reporting. Well, meantime, hundreds of students of Lewiston High School in Maine have returned to class after the deadly shooting last week. Jaden Sands says he's happy to be back, but still worried about his safety. On my football team, one of my coaches、uh, lost four four friends.、Uh, one of my best friends I went to Arbor lost、um, one of his best friends, and、um, my mom's friend got shot four times, survived. So. And saved a bunch of kids at the bowling alley. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of going through a little bit too. So, I mean, it's a matter of time just to be, you know, try to act normal again. Callista Kara says she felt her stomach kind of drop a bit when she walked through the doors because of the uncertainty about what'll happen next. I was really unsure and uncertain of things that are going to happen, how everybody was going to react, the people who were affected, and it was just. A weird experience to walk through school, see people still talking, and life going on. Superintendent Jake Longley says that he can feel the difference in energy as students come in. Today's going to be hard,、um, but I think there's there's strength in gathering and and unity and getting back together, and so I'm very hopeful about how today will go. But I also know it's 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 very hard. It's cumbersome. It's it's humbling. It's it's got a somber tone. Shooting happened when a gunman opened fire at a bowling alley and then a bar in Lewiston, Maine, leaving 18 people dead. The attacker was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot. The attack was the worst mass shooting in Maine. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the British king acknowledges the painful aspects of colonialism. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 
23 minutes past the hour. King Charles III has acknowledged the painful aspects of Britain's relationship with Kenya during his first state visit to a Commonwealth country as monarch. There were abhorrent and unjustifiable acts of violence committed against Kenyans as they waged a painful struggle for independence and sovereignty. And for that, there can be no excuse. In coming back to Kenya, it matters greatly to me that I should deepen my own understanding of these wrongs and that I meet some of those whose lives and communities were so grievously affected. The monarch delivered the speech on Tuesday at a state banquet held for him and Queen Camilla as they embarked on a four-day state visit. The trip's considered symbolic as Charles' mother, the late Queen Elizabeth II, learned that she'd become the UK monarch after visiting Kenya, a British colony at the time. Many Latin American migrants are complaining that processing for refugee or exit visas takes too long at the main migrant processing center in Mexico. They're among the 5,000 migrants who are marching from the southern border of Mexico toward the United States. Those seeking such visas often have to wait weeks or even months amid the overwhelmed migration system. One of the organizers of the march says migrants are often forced to live on the streets, and he demanded transit visas be issued so that the migrants will be allowed to cross Mexico and reach the U.S. border. The organizers also complained that uh, the Latin American leaders attending a, a migrant summit last month did not provide any solutions for the migrant issue. We didn't see any solution. In what was discussed there was really no agreement that would reduce migration or resolve the situation. None of them advocated for the migrants who are here. They advocated to get more money for them, but not to solve the situation of the people who are here. Cuban migrant Juana Fuente, who makes a living by practicing medicine, hopes that her practice will be more profitable when she makes it to the U.S. From Cuba to Nicaragua and from Nicaragua to here in one month. Then I saw the caravan and I joined it. All the way to the United States might be an even better place to get money with the herbal medicine I practice. Southwestern border of the U.S. has been struggling to cope with the increasing number of South American migrants who move quickly through the Darien Gap before heading north. Data shows at least 400,000 migrants have passed through the gap so far this year. Haiti's government has banned all charter flights to Nicaragua, which is one of the main ways for migrants to leave the island. The Haitian government did not provide an explanation for that decision. The move left thousands of angry and bewildered travelers stranded in a parking lot facing Haiti's main airport in Port-au-Prince. More than 260 flights departing Haiti have landed in Nicaragua since early August as Haiti's crisis deepens, with gangs estimated to control up to 80% of the capital city. The suspension of charter flights could prompt Haitian migrants to seek other ways to flee the country. Uh, drivers throughout Argentina have been hunting for fuel as surging demand outstrips supply ahead of the second round of the country's presidential race. Argentines are enduring an annual inflation rate of almost 140 percent, and the election uncertainty has prompted many residents to stock up on goods in fear of further price hikes. Economy Minister Sergio Massa is one of the two remaining presidential candidates, and he blamed oil companies for the lack of supply and threatened to prohibit their their exports if the situation failed to normalize immediately. To be clear, if on Tuesday at 12 midnight the supply is not resolved, on Wednesday they will not be able to take out an export ship because first, Argentine oil is for Argentines. A massive challenger, right-wing populist Javier Millet, blamed the leftist policies of the current government for the shortage. Local authorities say they believe two people have died in a wildfire that's also destroyed over 50 homes and raised 20,000 hectares of farm and scrubland in eastern Australia. Firefighters have been battling the blaze in Queensland for almost a week. Uh, many of those who evacuated from the Terra community are now in alternative accommodation. Acting Superintendent Cameron Herbert of the Queensland Fire and Emergency Services says challenging conditions such as strong winds and high temperatures are likely to fan the flames. This afternoon, particularly from now on, is, is probably going to be the hottest part of the day. Um, and obviously with the wind direction change, that creates a challenging environment with the change of fire direction. Um, but the planning that we've put in place 
um, and the resources where we've strategically located them, hopefully will will um, will allow us to, to contain the fire where we need it. Um, it's not a fire that you can put out. Put out. We can't actually extinguish it, but we just need to control it. Authorities have confirmed that more than 70 wildfires are burning across the state. Firefighting reinforcements from Victoria State and New Zealand are helping to contain the blazes. Police are investigating for bushfires in the Sunshine Coast region. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has arrived in Queensland to pledge his support for the victims. We're at 28 past the hour. Beijing's down to 13 degrees this evening. Tomorrow's going to be cloudy and 21. Chongqing's at 16 tonight, then cloudy and 24. Last is down to plus 2, then cloudy and 15. Hong Kong's 24 this evening. Tomorrow, sunny and a high of 29. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 12 overnight. It'll be sunny and 25 degrees on Thursday. Islamabad's at 17 this evening, then sunny and 26 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Israel's military has expanded its ground operation in Gaza. Flying Tigers members and their families are in Beijing, aiming to rekindle the spirit of cooperation between China and the United States. And King Charles III's acknowledged the painful aspects of colonialism on his tour in Kenya. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好, or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday, still to come. In business, the Central Financial Work Conference in Beijing. In sports, we have details of a blockbuster trade in the NBA. In culture and entertainment, the annual Golden Rooster and 100 Flowers Film Festival is underway in China. To contact us, you can email radio at uh, cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Shane. China's Coast Guard has warned Japan over illegal activities in waters over the Daoyu Island in East China Sea. It says three Japanese ships and several patrol vessels illegally entered the area on Wednesday. The Chinese Coast Guard said in response it took lawful, necessary control measures. China has pledged continued efforts to build a network of more accessible and affordable healthcare. The National Health Commission says it will step up its efforts for high-quality health care, especially for vulnerable groups such as the elderly and those with disabilities. It will also focus on promoting the use of and innovations in traditional Chinese medicine. China has built the largest medical and healthcare system in the world, with major health indicators ranking among the top for middle- and high-income countries. Bolivia has severed diplomatic ties with Israel, accusing it of committing crimes against humanity in the Gaza Strip. Interim Chancellor Maria Naila Prada says Bolivia demands an end to the attacks in the Gaza Strip, which have caused thousands of civilian deaths. She adds that humanitarian aid will be sent from Bolivia to those affected. In Nigeria, searches have recovered 17 bodies in Taraba after a boat capsized in the eastern state on Saturday. 
State authorities say emergency responders have saved 12 people. The National Emergency Management Agency says a boat carrying over 100 people from a local market was heading to the Karim Lamido area at that time. They say operators allegedly overflowed the boat, and investigations to establish the cause of the accident are underway. Boat accidents are common in Nigeria, with many are caused by bad weather and overloading. The UN High Commissioner for Refugees is warning of the escalating refugee crisis around the world. Filippo Grandi says there are more than 110 million refugees and displaced people around the world. The, the global displacement problem is escalating due largely to the absence of political solutions that would allow people to go back to their homes voluntarily, and that was my strong message to the council. And I mentioned a number of crises in this respect. The top UN refugee official also calls for unity of the Security Council to tackle the global refugee crisis. I insisted with the council that、uh, it is important, in their role, given their role, not to lose sight of other crises that are continuing and are all, where also international humanitarian law is not respected, civilians are、uh, impacted. And millions are displaced. He also urged efforts to uphold peace and security and resolve brutal conflicts, which he describes as a main driver of forced displacement. Britain is bringing together companies, political leaders, and experts for a two-day discussion on the potential risks posed by artificial intelligence. The summit aims to build an international consensus on the safe development of AI. China is on the guest list, and the country is expected to be a heavyweight at the event. China has at least 130 large language models launched by companies, including Alibaba and Tencent. According to brokerage CLSA, China's share accounts for 40% of the global total, closely trailing the United States' 50% share. U.S. President Joe Biden has issued an executive order aimed at establishing safety and security standards for the development of artificial intelligence and addressing its risks. The White House says the order seeks to promote innovation and competition while protecting the American people's privacy and safeguarding the rights of consumers and workers. Biden describes the order as a testament to safety, security, trust, and openness. This order builds on the critical steps we've already taken to ensuring the AI Bill of Rights to bring together leading AI companies who、uh, agreed. To voluntarily make certain certain commitments to make sure AI is safe and the system is secure. The order requires developers of AI systems to share their safety test results and other critical information with the U.S. government before releasing them to the public. China Media Group's podcast series on Dunhuang in Northwest China has won the Digital Content Award of the Asia Pacific Broadcasting Union. It's the first time that a Chinese media outlet has won this award. The podcast "Why We Love Dunhuang," produced by CGTN Radio, explains why the ancient city continues to attract visitors from around the world, mostly to its UNESCO World Heritage Site, the Morgol Grottoes. Four other works by China Media Group also won prizes in TV and radio categories. Heavy rainstorms have pounded northern Italy, causing the Severo River to overflow in Milan. Further rainstorms and floods hit various towns, including Parma and areas near Genova. The Italian civil protection has sent weather alerts ahead of the storms, including a red alert for the Veneto region. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zhang, and this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the Central Financial Work Conference in Beijing. From cotton fields to a garden of tulips, join Dutch tulip grower Nicolaus Geijk for a chat about his experience of helping to transform a small village in East China into the country's first sea of tulips. On this week's Chat Lounge, wherever you get your podcasts, and on CGTN Radio. 37 minutes past the hour now.、I'm、turning to business, here's Do Hongyu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished mixed on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more. 
The uh, markets today were pretty static on the Chinese mainland, uh, only moved a little bit uh, as we saw risk-averse investors uh, taking a look at the latest private survey of the manufacturing sector. Uh, that was uh, Tsai Xin's uh, manufacturing PMI survey, and it slipped back into contraction territory for October, coming in at 49.5, uh, just under that 50-point line, which uh, separates contraction from expansion in a PMI survey. Uh, expectations had been for a slight pickup in uh, factory activity, but uh, the slowdown uh, ended up adding to investor caution. The Shanghai Composite Index uh, rounded out the day up by only about a tenth of 1%. The Shenzhen component, though, sank about four-tenths of 1%. Consumer stocks made up the bulk of today's gainers. They were led by the index heavyweight Guizhou Maltai. Uh, the liquor giant shot up by 5.7%, making up almost a third of gains on the benchmark index. That was uh, after the iconic Baijiu brand said that it would be raising the factory sale prices of some of its products by 20%. Uh, and an assessment by one Chinese brokerage said that this should net the company more than 7 billion yuan in extra revenue and more than 4 billion yuan in profit. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index closed almost flat. In Japan, the Nikkei surged around 2.4%. China has held a central financial work conference in Beijing to deepen reforms in the financial sector. Gao Yiming has more. Senior Chinese officials agreeing preventing financial risks is crucial to the financial sector. They say the financial innovation should be market-oriented and remain compliant with laws. And the finance sector must provide high-quality services for the economic and social development. The meeting stressed the importance of deepening financial supply-side structural reforms and the need to optimize the fund supply structure. More financial resources should be leveraged to facilitate tech innovation, advanced manufacturing and green development, as well as supporting micro, small and medium-sized enterprises. More efforts are to be made to develop the financial sector from five fronts, including projects concerning old age and digital finance. As China continues to advance its reform and opening up, leaders also emphasized improving the opening up in the financial sector while ensuring the security of national finance and economy. They also called for facilitating cross-border investment and financing to attract more foreign-funded institutions and long-term capital. And more should be done to strengthen financial regulations, as well as prevent and defuse financial risks. Real estate was also on the agenda, particularly improving the supervision on real estate enterprises. China will promote the virtuous development cycle between the financial sector and the property sector and improve the macroprudential management of real estate financing. This includes satisfying all the reasonable financing demands of real estate enterprises, regardless of types of ownership. That was Gao Yiming reporting. For more insights, Pandong spoke with Chi Qiang, a research fellow from Beijing Foreign Studies University. What are the major tasks according to your observation? Uh, one is, uh, I think, stability. Stability of our financial system. And the second key word is development. How can we just secure and develop into the future? So in the future, I think the stability side, China is going to make sure the whole leverage ratio in the whole society and the debt issue in the country uh, can follow a very good path to develop in a, uh, in a stable uh, status quo. And also, secondly, is how can we make our capital market, make our financial sector to serve our real economy and people's livelihood even better. For example, how can we support the green development? How can we support direct financing? And how can we support uh, the other uh, research uh, area? That was Chu Qiang, a research fellow from Beijing Foreign Studies University. China's financial market has been steadily growing. By the end of the third quarter, capital invested in foreign banks had surged by almost 17 percent from since 2017, while capital invested in foreign insurance companies had more than doubled in the last six years. Song Yaotian has more. Over half of the businesses operating in the Shanghai World Financial Center are now foreign enterprises, including globally recognized financial institutions. Among them, the first Abu Dhabi bank, known as FAB, stands out. 
FAB has been providing onshore RMB and foreign currency services in China since its Shanghai branch commenced operations in March of the previous year. Our lessons got approved in very short period of time. We finished all the registration in just one or two days, so the whole process was very efficient. Next, we applied for some derivative licenses, such as some interbank licenses. Commerce Bank from Germany has been in China for 40 years. It is extremely bullish on the Chinese market. None of our clients' companies have departed from China, nor do they have any intentions to do so. Numerous German companies, both larger and small, and often leaders in their respective fields, continue to ramp up their investments in China. As a result, we maintain a high level of confidence in our business outlook. With the ongoing opening up of China's financial sector, an increasing number of global financial institutions are considering China for their future expansion. The Chinese Financial Regulatory Authority has granted approval for the establishment of six foreign banks and provided preliminary clearance for two foreign banks between January and September. During this time frame, the combined capital injected by these foreign banks totaled nearly 270 million U.S. dollars. The inclusion of foreign financial institutions in the market not only diversifies available options but also improves financial products. This enhancement increases the effectiveness of China's financial market and further accelerates its broader and deeper opening up. That was Song Yaotian reporting. China's State Council has unveiled a plan to establish the Xinjiang Pilot Free Trade Zone as a significant strategic move for promoting reform and opening up in the far western region. The FTZ aims to integrate Xinjiang into domestic and international markets. It'll serve the construction of the core area of the Belt and Road Initiative, bridging Asia and Europe, and boosting China's westward opening. Covering parts of Urumqi, Kashgar, and Korgos, the FTZ aims to focus on emer- emerging industries, labor-intensive industries, and the modern service industry. The upcoming sixth China International Import Expo will use a number of cutting-edge technologies. Cai Xiaowei is an organizer with the expo. She says 24 robots are providing guide services. We've made improvements in three aspects of the digital guiding robot, so visitors can ask it questions and get information when entering the exhibition area and using the service. If they still don't know how to go to the destination, even after getting the information from the robot, then they can make it lead the way. The information system for the expo now covers nine sections. The CIE will also be following high standards for renewables and recycling. The expo will be calculating its carbon emissions data from buildings and catering services, and neutralizing greenhouse gas emissions by purchasing carbon quotas. More than 400 exhibitors will take part in the first China International Supply Chain Expo in Beijing at the end of the month. Among them are 100 foreign-funded enterprises from around 50 countries and regions. Jiang Xing is the spokesman for the event's organizer, the China Council for the Promotion of International Trade. Besides the exhibition booths from the areas dedicated to supply chain service for the smart vehicle, green agriculture, clean energy, digital technology, healthy living, and modern logistics sectors, there are also booths from 20 countries and regions. Zhang says the expo provides a platform for global supply chain cooperation and highlights digital matchmaking for exhibitors and buyers. The five-day expo begins on November the 28th. And finally, U.S. pharmaceutical company Pfizer has reported a loss of 2.4 billion U.S. dollars for the third quarter as sales of its COVID-19 vaccine and treatments continue to decline. Pfizer says its quarterly vaccine sales fell 70 percent to 1.3 billion dollars, while Paxlovid treatment sales、uh, dropped 97 percent. The company has struggled with weakened demand for coronavirus products, shifting from government sales to the commercial market. It expects 2023 revenue growth of six to eight percent from non-COVID products, with the majority occurring in the second half of the year.、Right, thank you very much. That was Do Hongyu with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, we have details of a blockbuster trade in the NBA. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. And turning to sports, we have Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. The LA Clippers have reportedly acquired 10-time All-Star guard James Harden in a blockbuster trade with the Philadelphia 76ers. The 76ers sent Harden, PJ Tucker and Philip Petrusev to the Clippers for Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum and KJ Martin. The deal will include a 2028 unprotected first round pick, two second round picks, a 2029 pick swap and an additional first round pick from the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Clippers landed Harden to partner with all-star forwards Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as well as guard Russell Westbrook. Harden requested a trade out of Philadelphia in June. During a promotional appearance in China in August, he called 76ers president of basketball operations Daryl Murray a liar multiple times. Harden also acknowledged that this month upon rejoining the team that their relationship was irreparable. Vinicius Jr. has extended his contract at Real Madrid until June 2027. The Brazil forward, now 23, joined Madrid in July 2018 and has established himself as one of the club's most important players. Vinicius won the Socrates Award, which recognizes a footballer's involvement in charity and social projects, at the Ballon d'Or ceremony for his work in Brazil with the Vinny Jr. Institute. He has also become a leading voice criticizing racism in Spanish football after being targeted repeatedly with racist abuse from opposition fans. The player is a leading member of a new generation of Real Madrid players alongside Rodrigo, Eduardo Camavinga, Aurelian Chuameni, Frederico Valverde and this season Jude Bellingham. Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta insists that none of his players are too arrogant to play in the EFL Cup. The Gunners currently sit second on the English Premier League table. They are expected to make rotational changes to their squad ahead of their next EFL Cup tie. I don't think I have three World Cup winners in the squad that can think like this about the Carabao Cup. I might be wrong, but uh, I don't think nobody can think like that. I think that would be very, very arrogant. I don't know if we can convince them, you know, because we, if you ask about the priority, what will it be? It wouldn't be for sure the, the Carabao Cup. But then it, for us, it's more internally how we use it. Um, what are the demands that we put in ourselves and as well how we approach every single game we play for Arsenal Football Club and you cannot approach it in any different way because that's not respecting the game. Arsenal will face West Ham in their next EFL Cup match. Saudi Arabia was the only football association to present a bid to host the 2034 FIFA World Cup before the deadline closed. Australia said it would not be presenting a bid to host the tournament, leaving Saudi Arabia as the only candidate. FIFA also confirmed that the sole confirmation of interest in hosting the 2030 World Cup came from Morocco, Portugal and Spain's joint bid. FIFA still needs to rubber stamp Saudi Arabia as the host, a decision that is likely to be made late next year, but that now seems a formality. Pakistan reignited its Cricket World Cup semi-final hopes and eliminated Bangladesh with a seven-wicket victory in Kolkata. They also moved to within two points of the top four with two games remaining after ending a four-match losing streak and inflicting a sixth straight loss on second-bottom Bangladesh. Bangladesh were bowled out for 204, a a total Pakistan surpassed with 106 deliveries to spare. Pakistan faces New Zealand and England in the final two fixtures, likely needing to win both and for other results to go their way to make the semi-finals for the first time since 2011. Warren Gatland has announced he will not be putting his name forward to coach the British and Irish Lions in Australia in 2025. He has also backed Ireland head coach Andy Farrell to be the new man to take on the role. Gatland, who led the Lions in their last three tours to Australia, New Zealand and South Africa, picked up a series win, a draw and a loss respectively during his tenure. Farrell guided Ireland to a Six Nations Grand Slam earlier this year and to a number one world ranking between July 2022 and October 2023. However, his side was knocked out of the Rugby World Cup in the quarterfinals by New Zealand, who lost to South Africa in the final. The Lions will tour Australia between June 28th and August 2nd, 2025, and will play three tests against the Wallabies in Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney. Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy will launch TGL, a new high-tech golf league, on January 9th, with 15 of the current world's top 20 having signed up. TGL will finish before the Masters in April. 
Events will be played over 15 holes, combining an oversized simulator with actual shots to a tech-infused green that can change contours depending on the shot. The Sophie Center at Palm Beach State College in Florida will host each event, with the venue holding approximately 1,600 spectators. All players will be mic'd up during the events to bring fans closer to the action. And finally, Mike Elliott is leaving his post as Formula One uh, Team Mercedes's chief technical officer. Elliott had already been involved in a reshuffle which was confirmed ahead of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in April, swapping positions with now technical director James Allison. But the 49-year-old, who had been with Mercedes since 2012, will now depart altogether. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. And coming up in culture and entertainment, we have the annual Golden Rooster and 100 Flowers Film Festival now underway in China. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 minutes past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, and Zhu Tianlu joins us now. Thank you, Shane. The 2023 China Golden Rooster and 100 Flowers Film Festival is underway in the eastern city of Xiamen. Organizers say the event will see nominees compete for the 36th China Golden Rooster Awards in 20 categories. One of the highlights at the festival includes a special exhibition on film productions from Hong Kong and Taiwan. There will also be film screenings and academic forums. The development of AI technology has its pros and cons. Chen Yiling takes a look at the latest AI developments in the broadcasting industry. Today we're going to create a digital avatar. I clone myself, kind of. You might wonder why. Well, the latest AI developments have made it really hard to distinguish between what's genuine and what's AI generated. And this phenomenon is not limited to images alone. The realm of AI-generated video and voice seems to have blurred this line even more. This actually AI-generated, not real me. No way! This technology is one of the latest releases from SenseTime, one of China's leading AI providers. I decided to try it myself to see if it's that good. The process, to my surprise, is easy. The company just recorded me speaking for a couple of minutes. Nice to meet you, Elaine. Now just type in anything, or you can let AI to create content itself. Generate. AI avatars are generated by training data into deep neural networks. I will leave Nina to explain the rest. Yeah, only how your, uh, the, your feature are learned from your own video. Before, the process would be really troublesome. Uh, right now what we do is that we have a big model of like thousands of people. That's how uh, five minutes video can generate a life like a digital avatar. The improvements of accessibility now make the technology appealing to a mass market in live streaming. Now this kind, but with virtual hosts. During this year's June 18th shopping festival, live streaming with virtual hosts has increased nearly 400%. Our virtual host has broadcast continuously for 20 days. They've already sold 1 million yuan worth of hotel coupons within one month. However, as avatars become more lifelike, digital forgeries like deepfakes could pose a real threat. The misuse of such technology may cause misinformation, infringe portrait rights, and personal privacy. China has put in place two regulations to set the bottom line. The country's first regulations regarding deepfake technology applications came into effect in January this year. And the latest regulations managing generative AI services takes effect on August 15th. AI developers are also taking measures to prevent the technology from being misused. Authorization process um, a deepfake detection process and watermarking process are the three key steps for us to preventing taken by other people. That was Chen Yiling reporting. Around 70 high-value artworks will be on show at the upcoming China International Import Expo, or CIIE. 
They include major paintings by Impressionist master Claude Monet, French Fauvist pioneer Henri Matisse, and contemporary Japanese artist Yoshitomo Nara. Chinese master Zhang Daqian, one of the most prodigious Chinese artists of the 20th century, will also have paintings displayed. All those works set to go on display at the CIIE starting on Sunday have a total declared value of nearly 700 million US dollars. Planet Earth, a successful documentary franchise, is coming back with a brand new series, Planet Earth 3. Premiering in China on Sunday, it will also be screened on streaming platforms including iQIYI, Bilibili and Tencent Video. Planet Earth 3 will revolve around eight different themes, coasts, oceans, deserts and grasslands, freshwater, forests, extremes, humans and heroes. Back to you. All right, thank you very much. That was Ju Tian Lu with Culture and Entertainment. We're now at 58 minutes past the hour, checking the forecast. Before we go for the day, Beijing's at 13 degrees overnight. Tomorrow will be cloudy and 21. Chongqing's at 16 overnight, then clouds and 24. Last is down to plus 2, then cloudy and 15 degrees. Hong Kong's at 24 tonight, then sunny skies and 29 degrees. Elsewhere, Tokyo's at 12 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny and 25 on Thursday. Islamabad's at 17 this evening, then sunny and 26. Bangkok's down down to 25 degrees, then cloudy skies and a high of 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting rainfall in 24, and finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 14 this evening. It'll be cloudy in 22 on Thursday. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Israel's military has expanded its ground operation in Gaza, and King Charles III's acknowledged the painful aspects of colonialism on his tour in Kenya. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 